Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com When the Hi everyone, I'm Rick Call, and you are listening to the 106th weekly episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. Every week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years in time and we report on all the hockey news of that era as it was reported by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. And this week, we are looking at November 1st to 7th, 1971. If you like what we do here every week on the podcast and every day on Twitter throughout the hockey season, uh, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to this podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff in uh, special content where we delve more deeply and in greater detail to the issues that were uh, from and center in the hockey world 50 years ago. Our most recent overtime edition focused on the death of Stafford Smythe, the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs at that time. And in that episode, we provided some insight into who the man actually was and also of what was to become of the Toronto NHL franchise. And of course, if you followed Maple Leafs for the past 50 years, you know a lot of the story. We tell you how that all began and a lot of the reasons why. So now we are in the first week of November 1971 and things in the hockey world had been percolating a little bit, started to bubble up to the surface. A lot of events going on this week, a lot of news. I want to give you as much as I can, so we're going to get to it right right away. There, There's some very significant activity on the WHA front, World Hockey Association front this week, and I want to give you as much of that as I can as well, because there was a lot to go on that would actually shape just how this whole thing, how the hockey world in general, was going to unfold over the next few years. So let's get to it right away. 
Minnesota North Stars general manager Ren Blair told reporters this week that he's thinking of attending the 1972 Winter Olympic Games in Sapporo, Japan. He wants to go there to see if there's some undiscovered gems who may be available to uh, NHL teams on those European squads. Uh, Ren Blair, you got to remember at this time, was one of the few hockey executives who actually had international experience. Don't forget, he was the general manager of that famed Whit- Whitby Dunlop of Ontario Senior A fame. Uh, they won the uh, world championships quite by surprise in 1958 by beating the Russians. Now, in those days in 58, the Ontario or the Canadian Allen Cup champions, the Allen Cup emblematic of hockey supremacy at the senior A ranks, would represent Canada at the World Championships. And Ren Blair had put that team together and they really shockingly beat the Russians for one of Canada's final uh, championships of that era. And another bit from the bird this week, National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell has often said he'd like to enact a rule that would prevent expansion teams from trading away their first round picks. They did something like that with Buffalo and Vancouver when they came into the league. If you remember, the Canucks and the Sabres were prevented from trading their first picks in the 1970 amateur draft. Of course, those were Gilbert Pro and Dale Talon. And they were told they couldn't deal them within the first three years. Well, Ren Blair doesn't agree with this. Ren says, I want my normal democratic right to choose my own destiny. We traded two of our top choices and got Danny Grant and Barry Gibbs, and I wouldn't trade them for any of the young players we could have gotten as a first-round draft pick unless we had finished last or close to it. The message here from Ren is, we don't want to finish last. But if you do, Ren, and you've traded that pick away, can come back to bite you in the ass. Many teams have learned that over the years. One of the uh, things that's fun about doing this is uh, reporting on things that we knew would become prominent a little while later down the road. And we have one of those this week, and it's about uh, the coach of the 1971-72 edition of the OHA Junior A, Hamilton Red Wings. And we got a little bit of a statement from him uh, just to tell you a little bit about how he was thinking of things as he had taken over a very bad junior team in Hamilton. The coach in question is a, a pretty good guy, fellow by the name of Harry Neal. Uh, hockey fans would remember Harry is a robust defenseman for the Junior A Toronto Marlboros of the mid-1950s. Now Harry, at this point in time, had a bad hockey team, but he also had a way with words which would serve him well in the future. Harry says, because we lack experience, We haven't been able to establish any consistency with the team. Maybe the fans haven't noticed, but our team is improving slowly. The kids are playing good positional hockey, which has to be the basis of any hockey team. Harry went on to say that they had trouble finishing off their attacks, but that uh, ability to finish would come with more experience. 
The other clubs undoubtedly disagree, Harry says, but I see Hamilton in a little 14 division with Montreal, London, and St. Catharines. The prize is 7th and 8th place, the last two playoff spots in the OHA Junior A Series. Harry went on to say, of course his team wants to finish higher than that, but he wants to be realistic about his team's situation. That's Harry Neal in 1971 talking about his Hamilton Red Wings. Bobby Schmatz, the uh, right winger of the Vancouver Canucks, finally scored a goal this week, and it was his first in eight games. Vancouver general manager Bud Poyle seemed at this point in the season determined to trade Schmatz away but Bud actually couldn't find any takers, at least anybody who would offer him what he felt was equal value for Bobby Schmatz. He even put Schmatz on waivers this week. Not a wise thing to do when you're trying to trade a guy because that shows you that you don't even put any value on him. Nobody, anybody could have claimed Bobby Schmatz that week and nobody did. Now, Schmatz apparently had some offensive ability, at least that's what I was figuring at the time, and I could never fathom why teams were shying away from this guy. I always thought he would probably turn out to be a decent NHL player. He would. It would just take a little bit more time. Anyone out there remember Andre Pronovo, the likable uh, right winger, left winger, played both sides for the Montreal Canadiens, powerhouse Stanley Cup winning teams of the 1950s. Most of us in the hockey uh, fandom had basically uh, forgotten about Andre by 1971. He seemed to have faded away from the pro hockey scene along with so many of those other players from the 1950s. Well, this week, we actually heard a bit about Andre. He's still putting on the blades. He surfaced with the Jersey Devils of the Eastern Hockey League. That's the Jersey Devils, not the latter-day New Jersey Devils. And in the, the he played five games for the Devils. He's now 35, by the way, in 1971. And he scored a game-winning goal. Now, Andre had spent the past couple of seasons with Muskegon of the International Hockey League. And this short five-game stint with the Devils would be his last stop as a professional player. And he had a really good career. A few Stanley Cup rings. By the way, if you wonder, Andre Pronovol is not related, at least directly, to uh, the other more famous Pronovos, Marcel and Jean, or the backup goalie for the Canadians at one point, Claude Pronovo. I've been told he was a cousin, but uh, the SIHR, Society for International Hockey Research Database, says that he is not related. Speaking of the Eastern Hockey League, and we don't very often on this podcast because, quite frankly, I don't have the time to get into Eastern League stuff, but there was a significant uh, uh, event this week, and I'll talk to you about there about that now. Uh, an era actually ended for the Long Island Ducks hockey team when coach general manager Eddie Stankiewicz placed veteran defenseman John Brophy on waivers. Stankiewicz released Brophy 
who's going to be 39 in January, to make room for a 22-year-old by the name of Bob Borgeson, a 6'2", 185-pound defenseman who's on loan to the Ducks from Dayton of the International Hockey League for the rest of the season. The departure of Brophy leaves only Stankowitz as the Ducks tie to their championship season of 1964-65. John Brophy is a native of Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he holds the all-time record for penalty minutes in the Eastern Hockey League. John Brophy was easily recognized by his silver-gray hair, and he four times led the Eastern Hockey League in penalties since beginning with Baltimore in 1955. Since entering the Eastern Hockey League, Brophy spent 3,435 minutes in the penalty box. That's the equivalent of 57 games plus 15 minutes. John Brophy probably reaching the end of the line as a player in pro hockey. Former Montreal Canadiens coach, some people feel the best ever Canadiens coach, Toe Blake is predicting for this season that Frank Mahovlich is going to score 70 goals for this year. In Toe's estimation, the Big M has been that good in the early going. A tidbit early this week about NHL franchise news, the city of Indianapolis, Indiana, has formally made application to join the International Hockey League for next season, but there's talk that that is just a stepping stone for them to actually get into the NHL at some point. Now, with all this World Hockey Association talk going around, it's a wonder why they aren't yet on the new league's radar. Uh, we'll have a little more, actually a lot more, on the WHA just a little later in the show. How often do players uh, go out and try to perform even better in hopes they will be traded? Uh, usually that means the player hates the situation that he's in, or maybe he just has some kind of a bad attitude. Maybe he's just a all-about-me guy, not for the team. How often do players actually admit they're playing better so that they get traded? Well, Flyers rookie right-winger Pierre Plant, a first-round draft pick last June, did exactly that this week. And statements like this wouldn't go unnoticed by Freddie Shiro, Philadelphia's uh, new coach this year. Uh, the promising rookie from Drummondville, Quebec, said this week, he was hoping to score two or three goals Sunday night against the Canadians. And he said uh, his real reason, he said, for wanting to perform well was so that if I'm ever traded, it will be to Canadians. He says now they might take Simon, referring to Simon Nolay, instead of me, Nolay's been hot lately. So here's Pierre Plant wanting to score goals for his team so that he might end up with the Montreal Canadiens. Not a very good team attitude from a rookie, especially. You'll remember going into this season, there was a lot of talk about the Boston Bruins upset over having lost in the playoffs to Montreal last season. We're going to change their team philosophy and their approach would be more defensive-minded. People like Stan Fischler and others reported on this. Well, let's just take a look at the numbers early in the season about the Bruins being more defense-oriented. This season, last year, they had scored 57 goals. 
in the number of games they'd played up to this point. This year, in 71-72, they had quite a few less, only 35. But the problem for the Bruins, who've been just mediocre so far in the 71-72 season, is that they had allowed exactly the same number of goals in the same number of games as last season, 25. So this looks more like a net loss rather than a game, scoring less but allowing the same amount. And that's why the Bruins are struggling instead of dominating the way they were predicted to this season. Something's got to go on in Boston. I don't know if it's a trade, a coaching change. We're all saying that. We don't know, but that there was something about the Bruins that just wasn't clicking. Now, this week, they even tried a couple of different things. They made a very interesting waiver pickup during this week. They grabbed defenseman Matt Ravlich when the Kings made him available on the waiver wire. So Matt Ravlich can't help the struggling L.A. Kings, but the Boston Bruins can use him. There's a clue to why Matt Ravlich may have ended up in Boston. Matt's from Sault Ste. Marie, and one of his best friends while he was growing up in the Sioux, a guy by the name of Phil Esposito. History teaches us that uh, Ned Harkness uh, was maybe a pretty, well, he was a good college coach at Cornell, or maybe he just had good teams, we don't know. But he was always a self-serving, self-promoter, and really didn't understand professional hockey at all. But he'll tell you he did. Here's a story that surfaced this week that shows you just, you know, what Ned Harkness is like. There's no way of proving the validity of what he's saying here. But he reveals that he tried to get goalie Ken Dryden from Montreal Canadiens before Dryden had ever played a game in the NHL. Harkness uh, said, I knew nobody ever would get would get him once he had the opportunity to show what he could do in the big leagues. Now, Dryden played goal for the Cornell University teams that Harkness coached. Dryden actually made Harkness look pretty good, a lot better probably than he really, really was. And Harkness was looking for that same kind of lifeline because he knew eventually that his BS would not keep him in the NHL forever. A lot of NHL GMs and coaches and other big wigs in the NHL were often the guys that would be quite frankly bullshitting a lot of the time. One of those guys was Bud Boyle, whose lines ran out in Philadelphia, but they worked on the Canucks ownership and he became general manager of the Canucks. Well, this week, this is an example of how these guys would operate. Bud claimed that his team had added a new wrinkle to their scouting system, something nobody else has tried yet. Those guys... uh, the what he's doing is he's going to have scouts go into the cities of teams the Canucks will be playing in a short while and then send back reports on how these guys are playing, what the lines are, things like that. They're going to start this very shortly and Bud says this is a new wrinkle for NHL scouting. 
Earlier this season, George Armstrong took a similar position with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and other teams are doing it as well. But Bud, you see figures that the news from back east doesn't get out to Canada's left coast in a very timely manner. So he tells the local rubes that he's the first at something because his team isn't going to be first at anything for a while, except maybe first at being eliminated from the playoffs this year. That's a possibility. Near the end of the summer, beginning of September, Bernie Boom Boom Jeffrey on the former Montreal great scouting with the New York Rangers shook hands with Charles O. Finley, owner of the California Golden Seals, on a deal to coach the Seals just before the season started, actually. Well, then Charlie O. reneged on the agreement because Freddie Glover just simply refused to quit being the coach and they didn't want to fire him because then they'd have to pay him for doing nothing. Well, the Seals finally did dispose of Glover as their coach as the season went on. And when they did, now a few weeks later, a story surfaced that Gary Young, the Seals rookie and incredibly inefficient general manager, actually called Bernie Jeffrey and offered him the job of replacing Fred Glover. Now, Bernie had been terribly embarrassed. He had quit his job as a scout with the Rangers to take the job as coach of the Seals and then had to go back to Emil Francis, hat in hand, and ask for his job back. And of course, Francis being the good guy that he was and Jeffrey on being the good employee he was, was hired back without any loss and pay for Bernie. But this time, these guys figured, well, Jeffrey on would come again, right? Well, Bernie Jeffrey on had a couple of words, three or four words for Gary Young, and he told them what they could do with their job. He could tell them where they could stick it, but I assure you this, it probably wouldn't fit the location that Bernie Jeffrey on suggested. Oh, and here's another one on how hockey's run. Now, we keep hearing rumors at this point in time that Alan Eagleson, the executive uh, director of the National Hockey League Players Association, desperately want to succeed Clarence Campbell as president of the National Hockey League. Now, think about that for a moment. Any guy who's hired to run the NHL would have to be closely aligned with the ownership, right? They do pay the freight. Does this guy... Is he willing to be that much aligned with the owners? And if he is, and it certainly seems that he would be, does he really have the best interest of the players front and center? Or does he just have his own grandiose intentions at heart? This is a clue on who Alan Eagleson really is, and we missed it way back then. Some NHL expansion news this week, and never fear, there's going to be some big announcements very shortly. But while the league had, at this point, not yet officially announced when and where new teams will be added, it was generally assumed that Long Island, New York, was going to receive a franchise to be housed in the new Nassau County Coliseum. One stumbling block, at least that a lot of people considered a huge stumbling block, was what compensation the New York Rangers would receive for an invasion into their territory. They had everything within 50 miles of Madison Square Garden. Don't forget that was NHL rules. And Bill Jennings, president of the Rangers, 
was certainly to collect on on uh, that invasion. Well, we learned from the great Tim Moriarty of Newsday this week that Roy Boe, B-O-E, was, would probably be the new New York franchise owner. And he and Bill Jennings, president of the Rangers, had been negotiating indemnification fees, and Bo told Moriarty that he believed that the two sides were very close to an agreement and indemnification for territorial rights would not be an obstacle for the new NHL team, on Long Island. Also with NHL expansion, Bill Bartholomew, he's the president of baseball's Atlanta Braves. Well, he said this week that he has had exploratory talks with the National Hockey League about obtaining a big league hockey franchise for Atlanta. Bill also mentioned that Tom Cousins, who is the owner of the National Basketball Association Atlanta Hawks, also has interest in an NHL franchise, and that begs the question, could those two guys uh, collaborate on a hockey team for Atlanta? Stay tuned and we'll find out. And one other city seeking an NHL franchise, an expansion franchise, that is Kansas City. The city right now is discussing locations and financing for an NHL quality arena and the favorite favored location right now is downtown Kansas City where everything's up to date. On Thursday of this week, the Montreal Canadiens and Los Angeles Kings hooked up for a trade that would have long-ranging effects on the Los Angeles franchise. But for Montreal, it was more of an addition by subtraction thing, and that is not to take away from... uh, the, any of the players that was involved. The Habs cleared up their crowded goaltending picture by trading goalie Rogi Vashon to the Los Angeles Kings and they got four players and other considerations in exchange. Heading to the Montreal organization from Los Angeles where veteran goalie Denny DeJordi, of course, made his name in the NHL with Chicago, uh, a young defenseman by the name of Dale Holgensen, and a not-so-young defenseman, uh, Noel Price, who had a long and very solid career in the six-team NHL and finally was getting a little bit more regular NHL time after expansion. And minor league forward Doug Robinson, uh, who does have NHL experience with Chicago and New York and, of course, the Kings. And I watched Doug play in St. Catharines. The key for the Habs in this deal is uh, clearing up the goal crease so that Ken Dryden and Phil Mir can be the two goalies, with Dryden playing all the games practically. And the young defenseman Hoganson, who is thought of as a very good defensive National Hockey League prospect, Rogie Vashon would forge a very fine career on the West Coast of the United States. You remember last week, the Buffalo Sabres went on a West Coast swing, heading out to uh, play the uh, Western Division teams, and they left behind two two veterans, Eddie Shack and Dickie Dup, back in Buffalo. Uh, this week, the Sabres back east, and Punchimlack has put together a veteran line with Duff and Shack on the wings, and another veteran in the middle, Phil Goyette. Uh, the cumulative age of of this this line. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into the numbers. Just to say that's one of the oldest lines in the NHL for this season. 
Next week, the Chicago Blackhawks will operate a closed-circuit TV network involving three Chicago theaters to show all the Hawks home games. So if you can't get a ticket to Chicago Stadium, five bucks will get you into one of these three uh, three three theaters, and you'll be able to see the Hawks home games and. Uh, It'll be pretty, uh, you know, on a big screen. Apparently, it'll be a pretty, pretty good picture. The play-by-play will be handled by Jim West. Hey, NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League, has you covered. Now, customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. There must be a minimum $5 deposit and a dollar wager required. One per customer and restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Last week, uh, Vancouver Canucks Board of Directive uh, member, uh, Director Coley Hall, said the Bank of British Columbia would lend Medicor, the United States-based owners of the Canucks, $3.8 million to take care of that loan with the Capazzi family. This week, the bank said there was no such plan in the works. They had made no agreement. The bank did admit that Coley Hall had approached them with the idea, but that they hadn't made any decisions or even considered the idea of giving the money to Medicare just yet. Keywords there, just yet. We should have figured this out right at the beginning that things were going to be goofy with the Maple Leafs. Harold Ballard, the new president of the Leafs, revealed plans this week to add 7,000 seats to Maple Leaf Gardens. Now that would put the garden seating capacity at a little more than 23,000 bums in seats. Now where in God's name would they find room for all those extra seats? If you put any more seats higher than the top of where the grays are now, the game is going to be just a rumor to those fans. They're going to need uh, a TV screen at every seat just to have any idea what's going on uh, hundreds of feet below them. 
Bill McCreary, who just took over from Sid Abel as coach of the Blues, was already on the hot seat in St. Louis as the club continued to founder in the National Hockey League's Western Division. As this week drew to a close, rumors were running rampant that the team was going to undergo an extensive shakeup if if their play didn't improve. Now, you have to wonder just who is doing what in St. Louis these days. It often appeared to us that they're simply flying by the seat of their pants and a crash landing pretty well seemed inevitable. I felt sorry for, for Sid Abel. He jumped from the frying pan of Detroit into the absolute fire in St. Louis with the goofy ownership of the Solomons. Now, the first move for the Blues, they brought up Floyd Thompson from the Miners sent veteran and former Maple Leaf forward Britt Selby to Kansas City Blues of the Central League. And they followed that up a day later with the really earth-shaking deal. They sent somebody named Jim Shires out to Denver, the Western League, and brought up uh, veteran minor leaguer Gary Veneruzzo and also a young forward with some pretty good potential in Kurt Bennett. But would he be uh, ready for the show yet? Well, we'll find out this week. And speaking of dysfunctional franchises, again, we, of course, as every week, have some Seals news. They finally had a decent crowd to see the Seals take on the first-place Rangers in Oakland. Of course, the home team laid an egg before over 10,000. Not a bad crowd for the the Seals. The Rangers bludgeoned the Oakland club by a score of 8-1. to one. They said that Seals coach Vic Stasiuk in this game was juggling lines like a vaudevillian tossing tennis balls or something like that. And of course, the Seals got some bad news in this game as well. Right winger Tom Webster, whom the club had recently acquired from the Detroit Red Wings in that one-for-one trade for defenseman Ron Stackhouse, well, Tom left the game and was taken to Merritt Hospital in Oakland with an undetermined back injury. Upon admission to the hospital, he was immediately placed in traction, but no diagnosis was made at the time, and a lot more tests were going to be conducted on Tom to figure out what his back problem actually was. Bill Goldsworth, he's off to a good start this year with the Minnesota North Stars, and he credits his fine play to a heart-to-heart talk he had with Ren Blair after last season. Uh, Goldsworthy said that uh, he was trying to eliminate the silly penalties that plagued him in his first three years. Uh, Bill said uh, he was trying to gain a little respect and in doing so he had more than 100 minutes in the first two years and he was sitting on the bench at the start of his third year. Ren Blair convinced him that he couldn't do the team any good sitting in the penalty box so he learned that when the contact contract time comes up they don't pay you on penalty minutes that you spend on the box but the number of assists and goals that you contribute to the team bill says i haven't changed entirely i'll still get upset when somebody goes out of the way to get me but now i wait until later and i don't get a cheap penalty in a tight game to hurt our chances of winning i'm not trying to brag when i say a lot of opposing clubs try to upset jude danny or myself and get us to do something to pick up a penalty it's a long season and you can always get them back later Guess what? Yet another NHL coast bites the dust this week. 
I didn't see this one coming. Some observers said it was no surprise, but I thought they would give him at least a year. Doug Barkley, uh, apparently of his own volition, resigned as the Detroit Red Wings bench boss simply because he felt he was unable to motivate the athletes who wear the Detroit uniform. Now, maybe the players couldn't be motivated because they could see uh, what the Red Wings operation for what it was. And what it was was a mess. Now, Gordy Howe saw it. Gordy was, when Doug said he was going to quit, he told Ned Harkness he was couldn't do it anymore. Ned Harkness called Gordy in and offered him the job. Gordy could not decline this opportunity quickly enough. So Johnny Wilson, the coach of the Tidewater uh, Wings of the American Hockey League, the top Detroit farm club, he moved into Barkley's spot with former Red Wing forward and present scout Larry Jeffrey taking over at Tidewater for Wilson. Now, Jeffrey was quick to point out he was completely surprised by that turn of events. He'd never at any time expressed any interest in coaching. Howard Erickson of the Detroit Free Press put a pretty good story out there on this, and we'll give you that right now. Doug Barkley, coach of the Red Wings since last January, resigned Sunday night following the Wings' 3-1 victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's right, the coach quit after the team won. Barkley's decision caught nearly everyone, even the club's players, by surprise. Replacing Barkley will be Johnny Wilson, a left winger with Detroit during the mid-1950s and lately the coach of the Tidewater Wings. Wilson will join the Wings in Toronto Monday where the team meets the Maple Leafs Monday evening. Barkley said, I didn't seem to get the players going. He was visibly disturbed throughout the... 10-minute ordeal, which was the press conference in which he made his announcement. Doug said, I couldn't go out on the ice for them when they were getting beat 9-2 and 7-2. They had to go out and do it for themselves, and I haven't been able to get anything out of them. Barkley said he had been toying with the decision ever since late last season when the Wings finished their worst season in the club's history. I almost got into three fights last season with fans when I was going to the dressing room. He said, life is too short to be worried uh, uh, from the time you get up in the morning until when you go to bed at night. Doug said he was becoming miserable even with his close friends. Barkley said he encountered no pressure to resign from Ned Harkness, Detroit's general manager, or from Bruce Norris, who owns the Red Wings. Doug said he talked it over with both of them, and they left it up to him. Doug said, it's that I just can't stand by and see the club go under. Barkley went on to then kind of blame the fans for what was going on, and another Detroit coach also had resigned and did the same thing. They blamed the Detroit fans. Barkley said... The players have the talent and the fans and the press would just need to give them a chance and the players would then get the confidence they need to win. Barkley said that the Blues hurt at the Olympia this season have been bothersome to the former Detroit defenseman. He says, sure, it's tough to coach with the fans bearing down on you, the pressure of 15,000 fans booing and pressure from the press. That gets to you. 
Uh, Doug said it was a tough decision for him to make, but he's at a young part in his career, and he is, he's only 34, but perhaps with some more maturity, he figures he could someday come back as a coach. Right now, he just wants to stay in the Red Wings management. Harkness, in declaring Barkley would remain with the Red Wings in an undetermined front office capacity, said, we're very proud of Doug. He's worked hard uh, on behalf of this club, and he thinks it'll be in the team's best interest if he steps down. And that's often what GMs say when they force a guy out. Doug insists, though, that he really wanted to get out of there. Now, under Barkley's direction, the Wings have won only three games in 11 times this year. However, he believes Detroit still has a chance to make the playoffs. He said the club can make the team and he wants to give the team over to someone who can try to do it before the season gets too far along and the chances for a playoff spot then vanish. Red Berenson, the team's leading scorer with 12 points, said Doug's resignation shocked us. I imagine he set high standards for himself and the team, and I'm sorry we didn't play better for him. It's not that we didn't try, though. As for Johnny Wilson, well, he, uh, he'd he only been hired by the Red Wings last June. He guided the uh, Springfield Kings to the American Hockey League Championship last season, but he wasn't having much luck with a not very good Tidewater team in the AHL. And Harkness says Wilson will be the coach for the rest of the season. And then at the end of the year, he'll make, let Johnny make up his mind whether or not he really wants to work for this organization. So Doug Barkley, gone from the Red Wings, yet another NHL coach, biting the dust. Okay, so for the rest of this episode, what we're going to do, well, I figured the most significant news this week came out of the fledgling World Hockey Association's huge announcement on whether their charter, on whether charter members would be located, what the rules might be, and other items that would accompany the founding of such an endeavor. Usually, we like to reserve the WHA news for the Patreon episodes where we can delve a little more deeply into, into what was going on. But for this week, I want to bring you the highlights of all the WHA news. It was a huge press conference uh, in New York, uh, and there was a lot going on. And so what, gonna, what I'm going to do is give you the reporting as it took place there. And uh, we're doing it mainly from the Canadian perspective because that's where I was. And that basically was where the best reporting came from. Living in southern Ontario, as I did, uh, just about 60 miles from Hamilton, uh, there was news that a team from in the WHA might be located in Hamilton, and that was downright exciting for a guy like me. I had a lot of relatives in Hamilton, and I envisioned all kinds of uh, sleepovers at my cousin's place, going to Hamilton, watching uh, watching a game, and then coming home the next day. Well, Dan Proudfoot of the Globe and Mail has the first uh, bit, and this story was actually reported just before the uh, press conference from Gary Davidson and the rest of the WHA bigwigs took place. Dan writes, the fledgling World Hockey Association preparing for battle with the National Hockey League named 10 cities Saturday as sites for the franchises for the 72-73 season, and they ranked Hamilton, Ontario high among the list of seven competing for the remaining 
two locations. They want to have 12 teams. Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg were among these cities who they were told had received franchises. The other were Los Angeles, San Francisco, St. Paul, Chicago, Dayton, Ohio, where the Leafs' Guy Trache once created minor league records, New York, and Miami, Florida. Although no franchise fees as such were required, those granted teams were requested to provide proof of financial stability equal to $2 million, according to Lee Mead, who will be the World Hockey Association statistician, but at this point is serving as press officer in the interim. Dennis Murphy of Santa Ala, California, who with Gary Davidson were co-founders of the ABA and now the co-promoters of the WHA, said that they were impressed by the presentation of the people who want the Hamilton franchise. Murphy said they have a telegram from the mayor of Hamilton, that's Vic Copps, in case you don't know at that time, assuring uh, the WHA that a new building soon would be available. Remember at this point in time, the Cops Coliseum, now a very, very old building, had not yet even begun construction. The Hamilton backers are from Toronto and their present involvement in hockey is with the Toronto Young Nationals, which is a minor hockey organization in the big smoke. Doug Michelle, who's 38, is president of the Nats and more important to the WHA. He's president of Smith and Long Limited, an electrical contracting and engineering firm. And he also is vice president of Bill Merch Holding Limited. Jim McCreeth, his partner, is 23 years old. That's right. He's 23 and he's vice president of JMPM Enterprises Limited, which is a Toronto property development company. And he's also secretary treasurer of the Toronto Nats. Of course, Murphy says somebody from the league will do a diligent check on them. Or this is actually Mead talking now, obviously referring to their financial ability to absorb initial losses, losses of which there will be no question. Now, Mead said that there's no question we're interested in Hamilton because many of our franchises are located in the West and we like Hamilton's location in the heart of the Eastern market. Mead didn't think a WHA team in Hamilton would suffer because of the proximity of the Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. He says it's not going to be the NHL, but it will be the best hockey available in Hamilton, meaning better than junior A hockey. The people will identify with the names which distinguish themselves on their ball club. That's right, he said ball club. And in three to five years, will be equal to the NHL. This nest piece doesn't have a byline assigned. It's just special to the Herald. I think the Calgary Herald, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's written, the World Hockey Association assured of at least 10 teams to open next season now turns its attention to finding executives, coaches, and players. Charter members of the league, which hopes to rival the NHL, uh, are looking to hire uh, folks to run the clubs, and they're going to have to come from somewhere probably present NHL teams. The New York entry is headed by a prominent lawyer, Neil Shane, and that's the only club without an arena already locked up 
And that could make them a doubtful starter for the league. However, Shane has three possible arenas in the New York area, always the most prestigious in any league. And he admits he's almost 100% sure of signing a lease on one of these buildings. Now, he'd like to play in the new 15,000-seat Long Island arena. The NHL would also like to put a team on Long Island. And the building management naturally prefers the more established NHL. Shane, whose specialty is constitutional law, apparently, believes he can use the antitrust regulations to force Long Island to accept his WHA team next season. The latest word is that the Long Island building has agreed to accept Shane for next season if he will agree to share the facility with the National Hockey League team in 1973-74 when that league is scheduled to expand. Now here's where it gets maybe a little bit goofy here. The city of New York apparently had offered to build a roof over the Singer Bowl at the World's Fair site on Fleshing Meadows, which would produce a 10,000-seat arena. Also, Shane has a 4,300-seat rink on Long Island that apparently is available to him. In the first year of operation, arenas will be a problem in four other cities in the league. Chicago and Ohio have guaranteed that uh, they're going to have major league facilities constructed in time for the second WHA season. That means 1973-74. But for the meantime, they'll play in arenas with about 5,000 seat capacities. The other two problem centers for the league are probably Edmonton and Calgary, and they're not as lucky. Bill Hunter, who heads the Edmonton entry, admits the future of Major League Hockey in northern Alberta will hinge on the construction of a modern arena, but it's got to take place in the very near future. Hunter was very candid in his statement. He said, we can take the losses for one or two, maybe even three years in a small rink, but make no mistake, in Calgary and Edmonton, if we don't have NHL quality arenas with enough seats to uh, bring people in so we can pay the players we're not going to be competitive with the NHL it can happen Bill Hunter if nothing in this uh, point is very very realistic he says we're going to encourage the city of Edmonton to construct an arena and at the same time explore every possibility of doing it privately on our own in Calgary the Stampede Board plans to expand the 6200 seat corral but that won't happen until 1973-74 Winnipeg, with a very hockey-conscious population and a 10,000-seat arena, is expected to be among the attendance leaders in the new league. Expansion is also planned in Winnipeg for that rink, and it can't come quickly enough for Ben Haskin, who's the owner of the WHA franchise in that city. Ben says, I'm going to try and sign some of the biggest names in hockey. If I'm successful, we're going to need every seat we can get to pay the salaries. Now, one thing is very certain. The American teams get a much better deal when it comes to building or leasing their arenas. Americans finance projects with tax-free municipal bonds, which at the most bear 5% interest as opposed to the much uh, on more not user-friendly 10% on taxable 
Canadian bonds. Rink rentals appear to be much lower in the U.S. The St. Paul team will rent its new 16,000-seat arena for a flat $1,500 a game. Hunter and Scotty Monroe say their junior team rental in Calgary and Edmonton comes to more than that. You may have heard me mention Dayton, Ohio, as a WHA charter member. Apparently, it's true. Dayton architect and developer Paul Deneau announced the formation of Dayton Hockey Incorporated, and they're going to operate the WHA team in Dayton next year. And uh, he has a few investors. They are uh, uh, Dayton Newspaper Incorporated. Jack Reeder, president of Coca-Cola Bottling in Dayton. Jack Walker of Walker Lincoln Motors. He's a former president of the Dayton Gems of the IHL. James Smith, a lawyer. And, of course, Deneau, the general counselor of the Dayton team. A lawyer from Cincinnati, John L. Evans. Very interesting. They don't have a rink. They don't have a location. They don't even seem to have a plan yet. But they're going to have a team. Now, how's the the WHA going to compete with the NHL? How are they going to get players? Well, the NHL intends to surpass the NHL. uh, And they figure the players will come to them because they're going to give more freedom to the players who play in the WHL. They're not going to have a reserve clause, which they think will make the league more attractive so that the players would maybe take a the same money or a little less to have the freedom to decide where they want to go. But there's uh, almost two factions in the WHA. Ben Haskin of Winnipeg says, all I can say is let the NHL try and fight us. And Pat Brown of uh, the Los Angeles franchise, former governor of California, says it's going to be a tough road to hoe. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be costly work. There's a lot of downside to this, too, and we're going to have to bring a great hockey team in, and it's something that uh, is not a guarantee. Now, here's how this new contract stuff is supposed to work, according to Bill Hunter. Again, he's the guy who's going to have the Edmonton franchise. He says there's not going to be a war between the NHL and WHA simply because the new league doesn't believe in reserve or option clauses for player contract. He didn't smirk as he made this suggestion, which NHL Clarence Campbell considers uh, a threat to professional sports in, in its entirety. According to the WHA thinking, if a player wants to leave one team at the end of the, at the conclusion of his contract term, he can go and try to make a deal with another team. Similarly, the WHA will welcome an NHL player at the conclusion of his contract, but certainly not before. They don't want to try and get into players uh, breaching terms of a contract. Despite what Hunter says, expect the war to start with the first player jumping from the NHL. Members of the Players Committee, that's the WHA Players Committee, that's Scotty Monroe and Bill Hunter for now, they're confident that we'll ice competitive teams will be at least competitive and we believe better than the expansion division of the NHL. Hunter says uh, says this about the new league versus the NHL. He says that they res- respect the established league, but that hockey has needed a second league for a long time. Hunter says, will be exciting, will operate on the Japanese system. That system is if you steal one idea, you're a damn thief. But if you steal several ideas, well, then that's research. We're going to have 
10 minute over uh, sudden death overtime. Uh, we'll have some exciting innovations inside the arenas. I was at the ballpark the first time Bill Vec let go with his cannon after home run. And let me tell you, it shook people up. Well, wait till the first goal is scored in the WHA. And we'll see next fall. We are running a little longer this week. There's just so much in this, and I'm trying to give just the, a high-level view of this. We'll get into more detail in our Patreon episode. But let's give you a, just a, a little look at who's running each of these WHA franchise. In Winnipeg, it's Ben Haskin, and he hopes to sell out a 11,300-seat Winnipeg Arena. And if he fails to do that, he says he has $100 million behind him, so no problem. Winnipeg remains in the NHL today after a slight hiatus when uh, the folks from Phoenix stole that team for a while. And Calgary, Bob Brownridge is the president of the team, and he's listed uh, by the WHA as being involved in the oil business for 23 years. He's now associated with Bow Valley Industries and manager of the High Tower Drilling Company. Uh, Scotty Monroe is the vice president. He's going to be general manager. He might even be coach, although it's thought they'll uh, name a coach later. The Calgary Arena seats 6,500, but you can get 3,000 in the standing room as well. And Brownridge says if we draw nine grand a game, 9,000 fans, we're going to be just fine. In Edmonton, uh, Zane Feldman was the money man present at the WHA meeting. He's listed as the president of Canada's largest Chrysler dealership and vice president of Alarco Investments, and he will be president of the hockey team. Also financially involved are Bill Hunter, of course, and Dr. Charles Allard, who is said to have vast real estate and investment interests. Feldman spoke briefly saying they're pursuing every avenue for a new arena seating between 16 and 20,000 and he assures you gentlemen we will get it built and will do the WHA proud. New York's uh, owner is Neil Shane a lawyer and he heads a group of six investors in the big city. Shane says that one of his backers is Nathan Calicow, a very prominent philanthropist. And a philanthropist just might be what the WHA is going to need. In Chicago, John Syke is the president. Uh, he is vice president of sports and Action Inc., whatever that might be. Richard Smith, vice president of the team, is president of Sports and Action Inc. as well. A director, Richard Payne, and that's what there's going about Lee, a lot of pain. He specializes in real estate development. Principals are building a 20,000 seat stadium in the suburbs of Chicago, but there is some question whether it be open in time for the 1972-73 season. The team will not rent Chicago Stadium, home of the Blackhawks, for its home games because Syke intimated the ghetto location of the stadium is shameful. Now, we told you about Dayton already, so we'll move on to St. Paul, where Lewis Kaplan, president of the H.S. Kaplan Scrap Iron and Metal Company, sounds like a big league operation. Well, he's president of this team, and he promises that it won't be garbage after sitting in Madison Square Garden. I like to tell you 
will have better sight lines in our building. I promise you that. He also promises the St. Paul Civic Center will accommodate 16,000 fans. But of course, the major problem will be he's got to compete directly with the Minnesota North Stars of the NHL. San Francisco, uh, the owner is Jim Peters, who has real estate interests. Mike O'Hara, who directs his own consulting firm, uh, has a... Uh, a specialty of financing new companies. And Gary Davidson, the lawyer who is the president of the WHA, is going to be involved in San Francisco as well. The San Francisco team plans to play in the 12,000-seat Cow Palace, the former home of the San Francisco Seals of the Western Hockey League. And as good as the sight lines are going to be in St. Paul, it's a whole nother story in San Francisco's Cow Palace. Heading up the Los Angeles team is former California Governor Pat Brown. He's now a partner in a law firm that he's not a uh, a governor anymore. He's chairman of the board of the team and another lawyer, fellow by the name of Don Dyer, is president. Dyer and board member John Reed have real estate interests. Dennis Murphy, a director of the team, is with Davidson of San Francisco. And, of course, he's a co-founder of the league. He's a former general manager of the Oakland Oaks and Miami Floridians, who, of course, were basketball teams. The Miami franchise is headed up by Herb Martin, a builder of the city's 16,000-seat Executive Arena Center. Uh, it's just about complete, they're telling us, and he's chairman of the board. Architect Jerome Friedman is the president. Martin is described by the WHA as responsible for the huge Atlanta Merchandise Mart and the Merchandise Mart that's uh, just been located in Miami. His biggest project is the Executive Arena Center. Hopefully, revenue from the center's office complex, health club, shopping mall, and restaurants will pay the team's bills until Martin convinces people that the World Hockey Association is a better option than Miami's sunny beaches. There was much, much more being reported. And for those stories in more detail and context, our Patreon features will have all of them. We're going to get into exactly what they were telling us at the time and give you some context. So when the WHA does start up next fall, you're going to understand exactly the metamorphosis, the uh, the endeavors that they, they had to go through to actually get to where they needed to be to start and of course then we'll report on all the action next year so that is this week's show everyone and what did we learn in this action news news fact week well we had another nhl coaching change doug barkley issued his surrender in detroit johnny wilson to replace him the LA Kings finally got their goalie as Rogi Vashon makes his way from Montreal to the West Coast in a four-for-one trade. And the WHA made their big announcement. And uh, we've got a good idea of what they're planning to do. Now, here's some of the stories we're working on for next week's show. The major story next week will be an announcement from the NHL on its next round of expansion. And we will have the details We'll have more WHA news as well. And we will have a story of a player who believes that he was blacklisted by the National Hockey League, denying a career he felt which he deserved at least a shot. This is another example of how the old boys club ran the NHL back then and how it's continued 
right up until the present. Uh, I did talk this week about the headlines. Uh, I'm probably going to get into that at some point, uh, simply because the uh, issue of abuse is very close to me. I investigated these types of uh, incidents uh, from the law enforcement perspective and also from a senior management perspective in positions I've held at the past. And I was involved in junior hockey, and and I saw these things go on. Uh, I saw a team that I worked for fire a coach because of uh, inappropriate behavior uh, with players on the team. And what's gone on in hockey the last few years uh, could have been prevented. We've, We've known about this for a long, long time. I had heard about the example that came up this week Uh, without names or anything, from a player when this all took place 10 years ago. If I knew about it, those so-called insiders in the media and those who are running the teams, they knew about it too. The 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all his hard work. He puts a lot of time and effort into this thing, and we think the results are pretty good. If you'd like to uh, put a podcast together, Andy can do that for you. Get a hold of me, and I'll hook you guys up. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform live, don't miss the opportunity. They put on a great high-energy show. Other musical pieces and sound effects are put together by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and of course the many publications found at our sponsor newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago on Hockey banner. Don't forget our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash hockey50years, and every week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening, and on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice